0: How many of you all can remember your first job? You can raise your hand, interactive. Good, yeah, I can remember my first job. Outside of like working for my dad, uh, a job that I actually drove to, I turned 16, I I had a truck. I think, I don't know what child labor laws are. I'm pretty sure I started working at like 10, uh, at least for my dad when he was running his construction company. But the actual first job I remember driving to, driving myself, was for a guy named Wilton Mabry. Uh, and he was an old rancher, and I hauled hay from his field into his barn uh, during the summer months uh, when I was sixteen, fifteen, sixteen 15, 16 years old. It was hard work. Anybody ever haul hay? Little square bells? Yeah, I got a couple guys, a couple ladies. I love that. It's hard work. I'd go from our early morning summer workouts at football, where we actually had two days, and so I'd go to the early morning from 530 to 7, and then after that, I'd I'd take a quick shower and I'd head out to the the hay field with my buddy Matt uh, and there Wilton was waiting for us. And his old Ford F-150 extended cab, red truck, wood grain on the side with his window down, AC blowing, he was just waiting for us. He was excited that he had some young backs to take 400 bales of hay and put them into his barn as he got ready for winter. Now, It paid well back then. It did. It was 50 cents a bail, you know, and so it it was one of those, like, that added up quickly. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of mosquitoes, a lot of itching, a lot of sneezing, but it added up, and it actually paid some, some bills for me. He also offered a benefit package, Diet Dr. Thunder, and... If you remember candied orange slices, like that was one of it. that was, yes, a couple of people remember that. Like I remember at 10 o'clock just sweating. I've gone through all of my water and he's like, boys, let's take a break. He'd go out and he'd put his knee up on the trailer and he said he'd open up his little cooler that didn't even have ice in it, but he put the drinks in there. How about some Diet Dr. Thunder? It's like, thanks, Wilton, Mr. Mabry. I really appreciate the, the warm beverage you just gave me. Um, But that was his benefit package. It was hard work. Like I said, it was itchy. It was hot. But I remember that. Like I vividly remember those days. But nonetheless, it was a job. Then I also remember when I actually worked for my dad. There was no orange slices in this one, no benefit package. Uh, I was old enough. I was in college and I'd actually go to work with my dad uh, to kind of save on gas. He was a general contractor, so he'd have like 10 houses going at a time. I'd hop in the pickup about 6.15 every morning, and and we would go and check jobs. One time, early on when I was working for him, he left me at a job at 9 a.m. He gave me this long list He said, hey, here's this list. It was was my job to do a lot of the cleanup. And so rock guys would make a mess, and I'd come behind with the skid steer. I'd clean everything up. I'd I'd move rocks from this pile to that pile. I'd clean up all from the painters and the the sheet rockers. He left me at 9 a.m., and the next time I saw him was at 4 p.m., Um, he said, actually, when he left at nine, he said, I'll see you at lunch. So in my mind, I was thinking like, oh yeah, I'd be back around noon. I didn't see him until 4 p.m. It was just me on the job. He had left me. Needless to say, I was not very happy about that at all. He left me on the job. I had moments like that, right? Like, I don't know if you think back to your jobs where it was just frustrating, where it just seemed tirelessly, where you worked and did things, and you're like, man, maybe you asked this question, what good were all of those experiences? What good were were all of those experiences in your first job, maybe even your job you find yourself in? For me, along the way, my parents taught me to work hard, and I'm thankful for that. They genuinely taught me how to work with my hands and how to sweat and what it means to to work hard. They taught me that all the work I'm doing actually builds character. All of those frustrating times where I, I would just remember thinking, man, what good is this? It was actually shaping me into someone who I am today, actually plays into how I work, my work ethic today. They taught me if I wanted to drive my truck more than from school to or from the house to school to practice and back home, then I'm going to have to make some money, right? You remember that time. Your parents, at least for me, my parents didn't say, hey, here's a credit card. My parents said, here's $20 that will fill you up maybe one and a half times. The rest is on you. And it taught me to work hard. It taught me that I had to do things if I wanted to do more than go to school, football practice, and back home. Eventually, I had to learn uh, what that taught me was that if I'm going to put bread on the table for my family, I had to go out and work. I had to work with my hands that I better be ready to provide for my family. So it taught me a lot of things. It was a necessity for me growing into adulthood. And looking back, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons. I don't know if you ever just take inventory Uh, I've learned a lot of valuable life lessons along the way, and I learned early on that hauling hay bales and cleaning up construction sites wasn't necessarily my life calling. Like, that's not something I just walked away from and thought, I cannot wait to do this the rest of my life. Hauling hay bales and cleaning up construction sites. However, it was something that got the ball rolling in a direction that helped me take all of those, all of those experiences and begin to apply it to how I work like I said, even today, how I would actually live my life with those values, building character and integrity. Now, don't get me wrong. There was some times, many times along the way where I found myself grumbling, saying, is this it? Even into my, my early adulthood with an actual job, like a full-time job with benefits and all the things, like I remember thinking, like, is this, is this it? Like, does, does my work really matter? And it was in those moments of grumbling that I've been able to kind of take a step back and I reflect on the wisdom that my parents instilled in me. And as much as they wanted me to learn to work hard and learn those valuable life skills, what they were really teaching me was this work is a form of worship. All of that to say this work is a form of worship. And over the years, the more I've grown in my relationship with Jesus, the more I've rooted my identity in who Christ is in my life and what he has actually done to me and for me, the more joy I have found in the work that I do. And I'm not just saying that because I'm your pastor and this is my full-time vocational job. I've had to fight for joy along the way in ministry. It's not always easy. But I can find myself fighting for joy, and I can do that because my identity constantly is being rooted into who Jesus is. Now, all of that this morning, we continue in our summer series as we look at Psalms, as we look at Proverbs, and we're going to look at a collection of Proverbs on work. And one thing that I love about the Proverbs is that as much as we can see all of the beautiful ancient wisdom laid out before us, it's not just actual advice that God coaches us on, as, as much as it's this. He wants your heart. He wants every area of your life. So Proverbs is actually going after our hearts. And so as we look at, it's going to be a lot of different texts. It'll be on the screen. Uh, that's a collection of Proverbs. We're going to look at work ethic and what integrity and honesty. We're going to look at all that. But as we go along, I want you to see these different texts. My prayer isn't that you would just walk away with three or four good things to go and be a better employee or an employer. While that's good, my hope in prayer all week is that we would walk away understanding when we say work is worship, that we can actually find fulfillment and joy, not that what we do, not that what we do defines us, but that who Jesus is defines us and out of that overflows a joy that we can work. So, That's my prayer this morning, what you worship. Ray Ortland describes Proverbs like this. I think it might be helpful as we turn the page and and dig into Scripture. He says, Proverbs is a gospel book because it's part of the Bible. That means the book of Proverbs is good news for bad people. It's about grace for sinners. It's about hope for failures. It is about wisdom for idiots. The book is Jesus himself coming to us as our counselor, as our sage, as our life coach. The Lord Jesus Christ is a competent thinker for all times and all cultures. He is a genius and he freely offers us, even us, his unique wisdom. We must not forget how Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount where he says, Jesus, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So if Jesus scripturally is our priest and he is our prophet, and he, if he is the sage, the wise sage who is most definitely qualified to have a say in our life, then I wonder what Jesus might have to say about how you work this morning. I really do. I wonder what, it, what might come out of this if you would just allow the spirit. How do you work? What does that look like for you in your life? Before we jump in, let me just say, kind of lay some groundwork for us. The Bible has a lot to say about work. As a matter of fact, the first mention of work is found in Genesis. God created. Genesis 1 and 2, he created, he worked, he breathed, he spoke life into existence. And then what did he do? He rested. And then a few verses later in Genesis chapter 2, we see Adam placed in the garden. This is what it says. The Lord God took the man placed him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and to watch over it. Now what's interesting here is that the Hebrew word God uses is abod. When you see the word work, the Hebrew word is abod, which shares the same root, I'll give you a guess, as worship. Adam and Eve were created for the purpose of worshiping the Lord. So Adam and Eve didn't just Uh, worship God at church on Sunday at church in the garden. They didn't just do that. Adam and Eve actually worshiped more than just in their quiet time. They worshiped as God placed them in the garden to cultivate. Adam was actually worshiping God by doing the work that God gave him to do. So if you go from Genesis, you fast forward to the New Testament. The majority of Jesus's parables that he taught have some sort of context in in regards to the the workforce, to the workplace. Out of the 40 miracles that the book of Acts records, 39 of them happened outside the church setting. J.D. Greer says this, it's important that the God of the Bible is as concerned... um, Let me back up. It's as apparent that the God of the Bible is as concerned with displaying his power outside the walls of the church as he is... Within it. So if that's the case, if we see Adam and Eve in the garden, work, cultivating, worshiping, you fast forward, you see Jesus is teaching, you see all the miracles taking place outside of the church. If that's the case, where do you, I'm asking you, spend the majority of your time every Monday through Friday? Where do you spend the majority of your time? At work. It's estimated this might be depressing for some, that you're going to spend one-third of your life working your career. A third of your life, 33%, working your career. That's roughly 90,000 hours. You're clocking in, clocking out, checking in, checking emails, whatever that career is. Family, of course God cares about your work. That's all I'm saying in this whole introduction, is that God actually cares about your work. Martin Luther says your work is a very sacred matter. God delights in it. And through it, he wants to bestow his blessings on you. Paul in Colossians that we read this morning with our, our kids' sermon. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it from, a, from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Now if all of life is worship and our work is as much a part of it as we see a third 90,000 hours then wise folks will learn to worship through their work and not look at it as something you have to do but look at it as as being a steward a blessing that you actually get to partake in this they understand a wise worker will understand that they're not owners but you're actually just stewards. God has entrusted you with His beautiful gifts, with all of your beautiful talents. He's wired you uniquely. He's made you beautifully in His image. If you were around in fall and spring, think back to Ephesians 2. Paul says we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Walk humbly in those gifts and work unto the Lord joyfully and wisely. Like, just to be very clear, this, this whole sermon could be a sermon series. We could take eight weeks and just look at what does it mean to do this. And I get really excited, and here's why. I get you for one hour, maybe a few times a month. I get you for that one hour on Sunday, maybe in community group, maybe two hours. I'll even give you another one, three hours. Church gets you for three hours a week. Your kids get, gets this. They get church for one hour a week. How you live your life outside of these walls matters greatly. Not just to me, but to a personal and loving God. Whether you are a barista at a local coffee shop, whether you're a general contractor, whether you change oil down at the shop, whether you own your own business, even if you're unemployed, maybe. You're changing diapers for the foreseeable future. And that's the role God has you in right now. All of it matters. You matter. So what you do and how you do it matters to the Lord. Proverbs lays out some beautiful wisdom for what it looks like to work as worship. So what are some attributes of a wise worker? This is where it gets a little practical. We're gonna go verse, uh, it'll be up on the screen. What are some attributes of a wise worker? Let's start with character. What is What do we see here in the Word? Well, wise workers are to be humble and honest. Humility begins here. Look at Proverbs 3. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. So humility begins here because we are under authority before we're ever in authority. God rules. He reigns over everything. He created all things. He's above all things, in all things, and through all things. The wise worker, you and I, recognizes who they are and who God is. Humility begins here. What's another one? Well, humility admits a need for grace. What do we see? Proverbs three thirty four. He mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. Like as good as you think you are, and how great and mighty you've become, and all of the things that you've achieved, it's never going to be good enough to amount to your righteousness before a holy and pleasing God. But we see he gives grace to those who humble themselves before the Lord. The wise worker joyfully walks in this grace. He admits his need for grace. It's another one. Humility honors leadership. Proverbs twenty-seven, eighteen: Whoever tends a fig tree will eat its fruit. and Whoever looks after his master will be honored. So a wise, humble worker, actually, they understand that there's to be an order to things. They work diligently to to tend to their work, to the fig tree, if you will. And in doing so, they honor those in leadership. So when you do this, whether you're an employer, you have to report to somebody. You can't just be autonomous in life. Like we, we answer to somebody, no matter what role you find yourself in, you will always answer to somebody for everything that you do. Ultimately, it's going to be God, as our, our righteous judge. But when you do this, when you actually submit to leaders leadership, you're actually trusting the Lord. You're trusting him with his leadership, his authority, his sovereignty over your life. You're worshiping the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will always be king as you work to honor those in leadership. Humility starts here. Another one, humility considers people and not just the prophet. Proverbs 11, a gracious woman gains honor, but violent people gain only riches. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. So a wise, humble worker doesn't do kind kind acts of service to gain status or to get something in return. Nor do they run over people to work their way up some corporate ladder. That's going to bring ruin. We see that right here. Instead, what do they do? Well, they're kind and they're compassionate. Wise workers, they're kind. They're compassionate with those that they encounter because they've experienced God's kindness to them, his compassion to them. And therefore, that overflows in how they work, how they lead, how they're employers, what type of employees they are. Humility considers people and not just the prophets. It's another one. Humility acknowledges that they're better together. I love this one. This is a verse that has meant so much to me over the years. Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So a wise worker actually invites other people in. A wise worker encourages people to give feedback. A wise worker realizes in all humility that, hey, Maybe Sean has a better idea than I do. God may have given me this vision. He may have given me this dream. He may have given me this this thing that I'm going to achieve, and and I'm going to strive to achieve as best as I can. But chances are there's other men and women who can actually speak into that. A humble man, a humble worker understands this. Humility acknowledges that they're better together. Who are you bringing along with you? So wise workers are humble. Just put that out there. If you're taking notes, the second thing is wise workers are also honest in how they work and how they speak. Proverbs 20, 23, wise workers produce work that is honest and true. He says, differing weights are detestable to the Lord and dishonest scales are unfair. Meaning, wise workers don't intentionally do things that are misleading in order to make a few extra bucks. That's what that means. Differing weights are detestable to the Lord. He doesn't like them. He doesn't like when you fudge the numbers. He doesn't like when you make things look like they're better than they should be. He doesn't like when you add on a few extra hours on your time card because you just, well, I'm just a little short this month or I kind of was working. I was driving to this. Like he, the Lord actually honors those who are honest about their work, how they work and how they speak to one another. He doesn't like people who say they're gonna do one thing and cut corners because it's just easier to do that way. It's another one wise workers are honest with their workers Proverbs 21:6 making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing mist a pursuit of death You see prideful workers will do whatever it takes to make the profit similar to what I just said like they're going to run over others They're going to be all about lying and cheating and stealing to make the extra buck they will do whatever it takes That's a foolish worker. A wise worker instead thinks more about just the bottom line. What does that look like for you? If you own a business, that's saying, in in you saying something like this, I know we can make a profit from this, but is this genuinely, let me back up, business owners, how this is helpful for you. I know we can make a profit, asking this question. I know we can make a profit from this, but is it genuinely helpful to our people? Does this help our organization? Does this better us along? Wise workers take a step back. They're honest with their workers, with where they're at. Another one we see, wise workers are honest in speech. Proverbs 14, a wise person is cautious and turns from evil, but a fool is easily angered and is careless. A quick-tempered person acts foolishly and one who schemes is hated. What's that saying? Well, a, a foolish person is... Or a wise person is quick to listen and slow to speak. You can think about James. Think about what Jesus says. Being quick to listen, slow to speak. A wise person recognizes evil because they're careful to align themselves to the holy and worshipful, pleasing God. They have this vertical relationship where they're aligning everything, their speech, their word, their deed, to who God is. And out of that will overflow into your relationships with others. When they speak, good fruit will be produced. And here's how I know that. Look at it, Proverbs 11. Wise workers will flee from gossip. What does the Bible say about gossip in the workplace? Well, gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. Wisdom says don't indulge in it. Wise relationships actually have vaults. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Did you hear about that? Did you hear about this? Can you believe that they did this? Godliness, godly wisdom actually produces trustworthiness, not slander. A few more. Proverbs fifteen eighteen. wise workers speak gracefully into conflict. Look at chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but one slow to anger calms strife. So one, a wise person, will calm the pot. An unwise, foolish person will do nothing but stir the pot. Jesus said, blessed is the peacemaker, not peacekeeper. So a wise worker will work to calm strife with all grace. Wise workers start with people being image bearers first, then they work backwards towards their sin. So wise workers speak gracefully into conflict. What else do they do? Well, they also handle conflict quickly. Proverbs 17, to start a conflict is to release a flood. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. So wise workers... Will enter into tough situations in order to stop the conflict before it happens, before the dam breaks, if you will. That's the imagery here. Because once it breaks, it's going to take out every relationship with it. He says, wise workers will handle conflict quickly. So, the character of a wise worker, they're humble, they're honest. Kind of sounds a lot like our Savior Jesus, right? They're humble, they're honest. What about their attitude? Just very briefly, they're joyful. Wise workers are joyful. Proverbs 10, the hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Wise workers speak life into themselves and speak life into one another. You ever been around a person who just isn't joyful? Like, it's just not fun to be around. Like, they just suck the joy out of the room. Like, you walk in and you're like, man, is anything going good in your life? Like, all you talk about, it's all derogatory. It's all negative. A joyful person actually speaks truth in life to themselves. I am a child of God in the midst of all the lies that you hear. And then they're able to speak truth, and grace overflows into other people's lives, and your relationships, your coworkers, employee to employer. You're actually able to speak life into, into other people. So a wise worker learns and understands that they are joyful. I mean, just think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, attitude is one that is joyful and then one that is motivated and they work hard. Look at Proverbs 6 with me. Verse 6 through 11. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber. A little folding of the arms to rest. Your poverty will come like a robber. Your need, like a bandit. We can learn some things from ants this morning. We think about what it means to be a wise worker. Motivated. What does it mean to work hard? Look at the motivation here for these ants. Isn't that funny? We're learning from ants in Proverbs this morning. As I was preparing, I just was like, wow, we can learn a lot from anything, from children and from ants. There's no one standing over the ant with a whip. That's what this is drawing our attention here. The ant has all the motivation she needs in order to make something of her life. So wise workers understand that they were created to work as worship. Go back to the very beginning. We were created worshiping, we, can be, we were created to work as worship. So just, again, if you're taking notes, wise workers are not idle. Proverbs chapter 10, idle hands make one poor, but diligent hands bring riches. Think about the ants. When they work, there's no complaints. Ants show up. They're faithful. Faithful to sweat, put in all the work. They make every effort. They take the initiative. No one says to the ants, hey, go out and find some sugar. Like, I didn't open my door and say, ants, y'all come on in. I don't go to the picnics and just see ants just like, hey, if y'all want some of these Pringles or hot dogs, go for it. Like, they just do it. They just take the initiative. They're working for something. And that's what we're trying to see here. They work hard today for something tomorrow. They don't wait. They're not just hoping life is going to go their way. The ant is present in the now while at the same time looking ahead at tomorrow. She's learned to play the long game. She's growing in her wisdom. She has an actual growth plan. I mean, look at the, the scripture. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, administrator, ru- uh, ruler, it, pre- it prepares its provisions in summer. Why? It gathers its food during harvest. It's preparing for something. It's busy right now. It's doing the work. They're not staying idle. They don't procrastinate. That's what the slugger does, and that's how we see that passage end. Wisdom says, "Don't do that." Wise workers understand that they're stewards and not owners. God's given them precious time. The one thing you'll never be able to get back in your entire life is time. You can't go back. You can always create more money. You can always find more friends. You can never get back time. Look at verse 10, when you think about the sluggard, just a little more. A little more sleep. A little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. A few more minutes scrolling. Just a few more minutes hitting the snooze. I'll get to it tomorrow. I love what Ray Ortland's father says in, in his book that I was reading. He says, your danger in mine is not that we become criminals, but rather that we become respectable, decent, commonplace, mediocre Christians. The 20th century temptations that really sap our spiritual power are the television, banana cream pie, the easy chair, and the credit card. The Christian wins or loses in those seemingly innocent little moments of decision. A wise worker has the character of being humble and honest, has the attitude that boasts of hard work and motivation. And then I close with this a wise worker is full of passion. It's full of passion because of the one that's actually laid down their life for us. It's full of passion because you can look at how Jesus worked with his hands as a child as a carpenter's son. You can look at how Jesus uh, was wise and how he responded and, and stepped into conflict. You can look at how Jesus was a wise worker with his disciples, how he gave them chances to, to fail, how he gave them chances to grow. You can see how Jesus was a wise worker, a servant who ultimately gave us the picture by laying down his life for us. All humility, he counted it, laid his down, down his life For you, for me, we can learn so much of what it means. So when we say work as worship, it's when you look at the sacrifice that Christ has done, that that should lead us, should spur you on to think, yeah, I can work as worship. I can be passionate about the gifting that God has given me. I actually can be passionate. I always ask this question, like, what keeps you up at night? Along the way, people have asked me that. Like, I'm just trying to figure out where, what, you know, where, where God's leading me. Okay, well, what keeps you up at night? What are you thinking about? That's exciting. Not like your anxiety and your stress and all the things weighing you down. I'm thinking like, what are you dreaming about? What is it in your life that you're like, man, I am super passionate about this. I really want to see God do this. I really would love to just be able to step into this arena. I really think that God's gifting is like this. Who's speaking that into you? In your community group, are you asking those questions? Hey, what spiritual gift do I have? Can somebody help me? I want to be passionate about how to serve the Lord. I want to be passionate about how I can be the best employee, the best employer that I can be. God has given you those desires. He's given you passion. What will you do with them? Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of times in my life where I find I think I can be honest with you. Uh, there's, there's times, even as your pastor, that I'm just like, man, God, what are you doing? What is, what is it that I'm doing sometimes? Now, some of y'all can run with that and think, well, why are we paying you? Um, others of you can just pray for me because I think I'm just a human that sometimes you just wake up and you're like, man, it just, this is just very mundane. And it's in those moments that I have to fight for joy. It's in those moments that I have to think, okay, God, Look at what you're doing, because I'm the type of guy that's a fixer, and I can look at all the things that need to be fixed. Probably shouldn't have gotten into ministry, right? Like, we're all broken people. I can't fix you. There's times that I'm just like, man, if we stop doing this, or we stop doing that, I have to just take a step back. And I have to ask the the Spirit to to just grow in my heart. Lord, what is it that makes me passionate? And here's what it is that makes me just, I, I get very passionate about, is when people like you and me, common folks, run headlong into what God has in front of you and find so much joy in the mundane, everyday task that you have. Stay-at-home moms, that you find joy in every, every stinky diaper that you change because what a joy it is that God's given you that, that gift of life. As much work as it seems, men and women that, that, go to, that are in the workplace what a joy it is that you can step foot into a place and work and use your gifts and your talents to, to make a living and provide for your family. Get passionate about what God has you doing. And if it needs to shift, if it needs to do something different, ask. Bringing that into your community group. Guys, would, would, would y'all pray with me? I'm really wrestling with this. I'm trying to figure out, I just don't have a lot of joy. Would y'all pray for some clarity, for, dis, for discernment? God, what might you be doing in my life? What if Grace Church Alito, which is full of a bunch of common, everyday people that worked hard, worked as worship, and made a difference in our community? We were known as hard workers. We were honest. We were humble. We were joyful. What would that look like in our community Community. I think that's what the world needs: just a bunch of normal, everyday people, giving it all they have, laying it all on the line, thanking the Lord along the way, and pointing people and making much of Jesus, because He is the one that has changed everything. Let's pray. Lord, would you stir in our hearts this morning? I know, um, man, I know it was just—it was a lot, a lot of scripture, a lot of. Here and there, a lot of some practical things. But in this moment, I trust you to do a work that I could never do. I trust that you're stirring in each of our hearts. I trust that your spirit is drawing near to those who are just tired in their work, frustrated, not a lot of joy for them. I trust that you're drawing near to them. I trust that you're pushing the sluggard along, if you will, if we just use that text, that reference. Maybe we would find ourselves in a season of just tired and and just honestly there's no other way to put it we're just lazy God would you stir in their hearts that you've actually called us into this that we can work as worship we can lay all of it down at your feet that it would be holy and pleasing to you so Lord whatever it is that needs to be done today I I just pray that we would ask that question What, what are we doing with our life God, and that we would walk away here with this, that we would do what we do and do it well for your glory, and that we would do it somewhere strategic for your mission to advance. Wherever that takes us, whether we're a a child doing chores, household chores, in our jobs, as we do our schoolwork, as we teach children. Lord, help us to be a joy-filled people, full of humility, that work hard and make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen.